See, we're fine, and I'm still human. Clearance my leg! Lay on! Pick him up! Bobby! Can you fly, Bobby? Clearance, no! Clearance! <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Sequelitis. I'm Matt. And I am Manny. And we are here today to talk about the Robocop series. We're here to talk about the Robocop franchise. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to kind of do what we did on our Alien franchise discussion. And I know that there's not a recent Robocop movie that came out. uh, But we're going to start with the Robocop remake and we're going to work our way back through the series and I feel like we got a lot to discuss. What about you? Yeah, and I feel like our fan base is of the era that likes things like NES, Alien, and RoboCop. Like, that's our core audience. Uh, Ghostbusters, Terminator, Back to the Future, exactly. Like, this is one of the absolute, like, center mass properties that represents everything that we love about movies. You know, the 80s was a time period that... A lot of people kind of shitted on the movies that came out in that time period, but that's that's when we came up, and a lot of movies came out that we really like, and RoboCop is one of those interesting properties where the first movie is excellent, it's great, and you know when you watch it years later, it's even better than you remember it being, but they've never been able to sequelize it or remake it in a way that's been you know, really emblematic of what was great about the very first one. Well, in the movie, you know, in the movie opinion. has, like, it's a high-concept movie that's got a great elevator pitch. RoboCop. Like, that's all you got to say is, I got an idea for a movie. What is it? RoboCop. All right, here's $15 million. Go get it done. <laughs> what took what should have been just a totally bad, forgettable, like, like something like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where people revere it now, but they do it in sort of a satirical sense. It's like a self-parody kind of thing. What kept it from that was the fact that it was a film by Paul Verhoeven. He was somebody that was ahead of his time in terms of he saw what was going on in cinema in the 1980s. And there was the canon films on one side, which were all like a lot of like, bad but yeah badly awesome 80s movies and then there were other stuff like the Sylvester Stallone movie and all these other like good to great to terrible action movies there was a lot of hyper masculinity and Paul Verhoeven found the perfect way to make a movie that would satisfy the troglodytes that would go and watch those types of movies but also appeal to the thinking men and women that would watch those movies And they would see the joke that he's doing, the parody that he's playing there, and go, okay, this is fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm enjoying it because I realize somebody's enjoying it on one level, and I'm enjoying it on this other level, and it's happening simultaneously. And for me as a kid, like, I enjoyed it on that, on the former. Right. But as an adult, I grew into the point to where I'm like, okay, I understand what all the social commentary is. I understand what all the self-referential... Um, points are and it was highly enjoyable for me but I don't think we should start with the best I think we need to work our way toward that film and we need to kind of like start with one of the worst Mm. and that is the freaking RoboCop uh, 2014 as I like to call it RoboFlop (laughs) 
Yeah, I saw you sent me a text message with the message of RoboFlop. Did you write that on there, or was that written on the DVD copy for you? No, I bought a used copy of it. I would have like hugged everybody in that store if I bought it like that, but <laughs> when I went to send you a picture to let you know that I did have a copy, because you and I are in two different places, Yeah, I wrote it on there. Because I was like, haha, funny joke, I'll send it to you. And that's kind of how that came to be. Yeah. And that's posted up on our Instagram channel. So if you go and check that out, you'll see the photo that we're talking about right now. It's at uh, Sequelitis. Yeah, what's really funny, too, is because every time that I've gone to a thrift shop in the last couple of days, I've been thrift shopping for a couple of different really hard to find items. And every time I go into a... But you keep coming across RoboFlop 2014? <laughs> no, no, is that I keep looking for RoboCop 3 because uh, we were talking about reviewing it and I was trying to find a copy of it for like 50 cents or something so I could see it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could rent it on YouTube or something for $3, but I just wanted to like come up on a... Or go to the library and steal it and no one will care because it's RoboCop 3. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was just on the lookout for it. You know, and I, I happened not to see it, but when I saw that you were doing basically the exact same thing, where where did you find that copy at? It was the only copy that they had, and I went to this place called Movie Trading Company yeah. in Plano, Texas. Yeah, I bought some stuff from there. I know that place. Um, I I have an incredible memory for like where I've bought certain movies at. I can tell you exactly what movies I bought at that store. And uh, cause I used... Of course you do. That sounds like it's totally useful for your life. <laughs> well, just for whatever reason, I remember it. Well, that was because I, I used to live in Dallas for a, for like a year and a half. Yeah. The most important movie that I ever bought from the movie trading company was the movie Class of 1999, which I don't think I've ever convinced you to watch. But if I could ever convince you to watch it, you will have a good time seeing it. Well, I feel like that's part of like uh, your your double feature of uh, that and Prayer of the Roller Boys. Yes. When am I going to get you to finally watch these two movies? Like you will be so happy when you sit down and see these two movies. I tell you what, if we have enough <laughs> listeners write into us and say I need to watch these movies with you, I will watch those movies. I will come to your place <laughs> in Sherman Oaks. We'll sit down. We'll sit down in your entertainment zone and we'll watch. <laughs> The double feature, uh, and hell, we, well, I, we we ought to do like a live audio stream of that and have like two people listen to it. Potentially, it would be a huge success. I have a I have a plan to to replace my uh, TV, which you at one point uh, used to make fun of me for it being a little bit too dim. But I've replaced the bulb since then. But I've been thinking about replacing my forty six inch TV with a sixty inch TV. If I do that. You have to come watch it. That's going to automatically trigger you watching a double feature with me <laughs> if, if I can replace my TV with an even nicer But it film. has to be those two films or only if our listeners vote on it? Well, I don't care about what the listeners think. The, that's the two movies. You have to watch them, and you're going to love it. It's like a lost John Carpenter double feature or like two John Carpenter clone movies. They're both done poorly but you know entertainingly. If we're going to do a double feature with Prayer of the Roller Boys, that we need to do like that movie with Roller Babies. <laughs> I never heard of Roller Babies. No, I never heard of that. <laughs> that's a that's a how did this get made classic. But anyway, so speaking of a how did this get made, let's let's start with uh let's start with the most recent and we're going to go RoboCop 2014, aka RoboFlop. This was a movie that uh 
I don't think it did like super great at the box office. Um, because they've yet to make a sequel to it. No, it didn't. They made it, and I think I think really when they made this movie, that was the moment when people started to like. There started to be a uh, an audible backlash against Hollywood remaking, you know, classic movies, or really not classic so much as beloved movies from the eighties. And no, classic is the right word. Yeah. And what was also was interesting was they had just remade uh, another Paul Verhoeven movie because uh, Paul Verhoeven has a perfect trilogy. And I don't know how many of our fans are aware of this. I don't even know if you're aware of this, but he has a perfect trilogy of Total Recall, RoboCop, and Starship Troopers. There are three movies that they're, none of them are sequels to each other, but they all fit in this like one satirical perfect universe. They do fit into like this really like crazy bizarro dystopian future. Yeah. We're like we're technologically advanced, but we've kind of like managed to regress in terms of like how we, you know, conduct our our lives socially. But yeah, Total Recall was was a huge favorite of mine. RoboCop I think had to be like the darkest uh future version or at least in in the very myopic view that they gave you. Um, but then, of course, you you have worldwide devastation in um, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you also have human beings that have managed to figure out interstellar travel. Well, and, and also in both RoboCop and in Starship Troopers, at least, the, we've, we've shifted into a new form of government, which we are shifting into currently, which is fascism, which is like a country or a world that's constantly at war yeah and like if you don't have something to be at war with then then your your country doesn't really have a purpose that's what that's what america is like uh, shifting into with the with our our beloved leader leading us the way but he didn't start he didn't start the fire he just is keeping it burning uh but you know fascism was like basically the the predictor that starship troopers was kind of hinging on and RoboCop was kind of a precursor to it. You know, this idea that there's this bleeding between what the military does and what the police force does. You know, the militarization of the police. You know, how, how can you be more militarized than the police force having this military robot that is is like a one-man war against the criminals on the street? And that's what RoboCop is, essentially. Yeah. So RoboCop 2014, unfortunately... It did not have any of the Paul Verhoeven DNA. And so for people like you and I, like that automatically meant we weren't going to like it. <laughs> One of the things that I remember about this was I watched the trailer for it, and I could barely pay attention to the trailer when I watched it. And then, of course, you know, my, my favorite YouTube channel, Red Letter Media, they posted a video of Rich Evans watching the trailer, and I laughed like crazy watching that because I was like, that's the same exact face I was making watching this trailer because it was so unexceptional. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like you saw it and you were kind of like, what's what's the point even? Like, why make this movie? Well, and it's something where they knew that they couldn't win as far as creating something that was satirically as interesting, was something that that had interesting future tech in it. You know, the movie's in a weird position because it was a futuristic movie that was made in the past, 
and the future that it predicts hasn't really come to pass. So it would kind of be foolish to predict the same future again now that we're a little closer to it and we can say f- almost for certain, like, okay, we aren't really heading in this direction. What, th- what they choose to do instead is they, they choose to put an arc on top of the story that has the main character, Alex Murphy. He is murdered by some goons. I forget how it happens in the remake exactly. It's pretty much the same thing, right? He gets murdered by some guys by a gang or whatnot, and they rebuild him into this ultra-killing machine. Uh, but he's 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 more like an attachment to this other creation that's already out there, these robo-military officers that they already have deployed in the war in, I- in the ongoing war in Iraq. You know, and they're, and they're trying to sort of take... Well, they're not even in Iraq. This time they're in Iran, because I believe that the... The news footage that they're showing is that they're on the streets of Tehran. And so basically they're like, yeah, so we uh, can't use this stuff in America because people like these effing PC culture snowflake pussies, like they're too worried about everyone's civil liberties. And like seriously, like I'm not even exaggerating because uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays like a conservative uh talk show host yeah like a bill o'reilly and he literally like goes into almost the same speech that i'm making right now at the end of the movie they're they're in tehran and so basically they're terrorizing the local population and it does this like your 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 favorite saying it does this very republican thing where it's like well of course in the middle east people are terrorists and like anything you try to do to help them the terrorists are going to come in and try and suicide bomb it's but realistically, it's like you've got giant murder bots walking around the street, scaring every single person and preventing them from living their daily lives because they're checking them to see whether or not they're terrorists or criminals. In the meantime, like the actual terrorists and criminals are right on the other side of the wall. So it's like even with all of your technology and all of your like, you know, slick machinery you're still not able to eliminate the one thing that exists right now. And so that's how the movie fucking starts, and it doesn't get any better from there. Um, I'm just going to say right off the bat, and I don't think it's going to be a big surprise for anybody, but I hated this fucking movie. Right. I, I hated <laughs> it from the beginning through the middle to the end. I thought it sucked, and the only thing that was surprising for me was that there was nothing about this movie that uh, redeemed itself. There was nothing that I found appealing and that I liked and that I thought, like, oh, okay, like, I'm kind of glad that they made at least this scene. Like, there was nothing about this movie. And the worst part about it is it does one of the things that I really hate, which is it's a movie with a lot of dumb ideas that thinks it's way smarter than it really is. Yeah, I remember also I was talking to this uh, this guy that I know that had either like worked in the production of it or he had worked around it, and he was telling me all these rumors about it at the time. It was something about how the studio was, was forcing him to make all these changes to the movie that he wasn't in favor of, and essentially like the director was extremely unproud of the movie and he felt like it wasn't what he wanted to make at all and it was a total a total studio notes kind of a movie and that he really had no power at all 
And I don't know if that gives the movie any kind of excuse or not, but it, uh, I it, it plays like that. You know, it plays like a movie by committee thinking. Yeah, a movie by committee, exactly. Yeah. It's like whereas the first one was bold and interesting and made brave choices that were risky. You know, I was telling you earlier on the phone that before I ever saw RoboCop, all I heard about it was like its reputation that it was like this cheesy movie that's so stupid and so dumb, this cheesy dumb movie. And I didn't realize that it's actually the opposite of that. Like it works <laughs> on that level of being a cheesy dumb movie. But intellectually, it's a, a very intelligent movie. It's a satire. But, you know, great satire. That's one of the things that this movie lacks. And it's like I said earlier, like, uh, one of the things that, you know, someone else brought up was in the original Robocop, they were doing satire. And, like, the movie knew what it was. It had a very strong sense of his ide- of its identity. Whereas in the remake, they don't have the ability, they don't have the intelligence and cleverness to do satire. So what they're doing is they're doing commentary. And they're doing commentary that I feel like if I have to give a positive on anything for this movie is that it's pretty on point in being able to recognize like, hey, what's presented to you in the media really does not only shape public opinion, but that public opinion can then shape national policy but outside of that it's like there's the the difference between doing satire and parody and just doing commentary is commentary almost anybody can do like you just have to be paying enough attention to say like hey this is what's going on and like telling another person about what's going on whereas like satire is that you're doing something to where when somebody else observes you doing it they think that there's this level of sincerity, but an intelligent person is going to go, oh, okay, they're not only giving me commentary on what's going on, but they're making jokes about it in a way that makes me understand like what's absurd about the things that are happening around us right now. And that's exactly what the first RoboCop did, and that's exactly what the, the 2014 RoboCop did not do at all. Right, it works on multiple levels. Yeah, it it wasn't enjoyable on that like basic popcorn kind of level. And then on top of not being enjoyable on that level, there wasn't any intelligent satire like on top of it. And you know, I've gone on a rant several times on Sequelitis about this movie, but you hadn't seen it before. You know, just so I can have, you know, one that's uh one that's completely on the record is that what the first movie did that was smart was it it turned Alex Murphy into a machine immediately, and he was too machine, and he was a very effective cop, but you know he wasn't a, an emotionally connected character because he wasn't emotionally connected with his former life. He didn't know who he was, and throughout the original RoboCop movie, he slowly gets back in touch with his human side, and he's trying to gain his... He slowly rediscovers his identity, yeah. Yeah, he's trying to get in touch with his humanity. And in the RoboCop shit make, the remake, (laughs) he begins off too in touch with his reality and his human side, and he has to slowly erase that bit by bit until he's basically zero-bit human and 100% machine because the machines are completely effective and humans have a level of 
ineffectiveness that can't compete with the machines essentially is the message of the movie which like i don't think it's a t- yeah well and 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 you're giving that movie a lot more subtlety than it actually had because they they don't even like really like spend a lot of time of like of of showing like the corporation that's trying to introduce robocop as a product going like oh okay like how do we drill his humanity out of him like basically all they do is they have one scene of Gary Oldman going like, give him a bunch of dopamine, and someone saying like, oh, well, you're going to turn him into a zombie. And he's like, I don't care, just do it. And then that's it. Now he's a machine. And I I know exactly how you could have made this a better movie. Go ahead. Without without even having to like go the route of like trying to recapture the Verhoeven satire that was present in the original... Because that's so difficult to do if you don't have somebody that's on the level of Paul Verhoeven. But what you do with it, Murphy has to start off, like once he's put into the RoboCop suit, he has to start off as a robot. And his family has to, just like in the original movie, assume that he's dead. Because I don't... One of the things that happens in the movie is that uh, they're looking at potential candidates for their RoboCop program... And they come across what would have been the perfect candidate, and they're like, no, we can't use him. He's too aggressive. So instead, they go with a guy who just got blown up in a domestic terrorist attack on his home, and without ever getting this guy's consent, Murphy is not dead in this movie. He's he's just simply a double amputee, and he's most likely going to be paralyzed. So Murphy is still alive. Right. And they show that they can fix him to a point to where he does regain consciousness, but they never ever bother to get his consent to do this. So everything that they do in this movie is enslaving and going against the consent of this guy. But regardless, what you have to do is you have to have his family convinced in the movie that he's dead. And so they're able to say like, hey, look, like there's a lot that we can learn if you will sign over or or even like the thing that they should have done was RoboCop 2 predicted this a year before this movie was released the city of Detroit did go into bankruptcy and so what you have with this movie is you show that Omnicorp OCP owns the city of Detroit that Detroit went into default it fell into disrepair their city government couldn't operate because nobody was getting a paycheck. None of the police officers were getting a paycheck. None of the emergency services were getting a paycheck. So this company comes in and basically now owns and operates the city of Detroit. And all the police officers are employees of this company. And that's why they're able to do the RoboCop program. Yeah. And then you have Alex Murphy. They put him into the RoboCop suit and they turn him into a machine. And what triggers him rediscovering his humanity is running into his wife. Because what happened in the first movie was uh, he ran into one of the guys that killed him. And he gets triggered by that guy saying, like, we killed you. You're dead. And then he goes back and he investigates his own his own murder. And then that's what sets the second half of the movie, that plot, into sequence. Mm-hmm. And so when this... I think if you have him start off as a robot and basically he becomes kind of the instrument of like OCP's oppression of 
the people of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks of that once he finds his family and starts to rediscover his humanity. And then that's when he realizes like, oh, okay, OCP's the bad guys. I have to take them down. There would have been such a better, more compelling movie than what they gave us, which was you have a subplot of like police corruption. And then the overall narrative is... Uh, this company wants to make a product and try to sell it and make a big profit, and they just decide to be evil along the way. Well, but they got all caught up in this this whole idea that there's these other robots that he's trying to be as good as, and, and in order for him to be as good as these other robots that already exist, he needs to ditch his humanity. And... You know they they latch on to that whole idea, and as soon as you start heading down that narrative thread, you're doomed. I mean, you're you know you're only headed for for one very predictable place, and for for one place that's just not that impressive. Like the the thing that people want to see. I'm not saying it's the true thing or the real thing, but it's the people that want to see. The thing that people want to see is that the little bit of human decision making skill that he has is what helps him not that's what hurts him not he needs to let con- let the control go so that the computers can make all the decisions even though that may realistically be a more militaristically accurate approach and it, and it may help you in in war situations realistically narratively speaking you want to see that the character has self-control and you want to see that the human side of him is what is making him a better police officer, not the robot side. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like that, latching on to that element is what screws them in this movie. Well, and not only that, but again, like what you want to see in a movie is you want to get compelling characters that you care about. You want to see them, you want to understand what their motivations are. You want to understand what their goals are. You want to have something relatable about them. And this movie lacks that. And honestly, like this movie, like watching it, it felt like watching a let's play video. It felt like I was watching someone else play a video game. And then when they had scenes that weren't like Robocop, like shooting and fighting stuff, it was like I was just watching, you know, cutscenes in, you know, the Let's Play. Mm-hmm. Why the hell would I want to pay $14 to sit in a theater and watch that? I didn't want to pay the the six eighty three or whatever I paid to, to buy this thing on DVD. <laughs> and so it was really frustrating. One of the things that a lot of people said, like a lot of really cynical people said before this movie came out is like, do you feel like they're going to try and like incorporate the let's buy I'll buy that for a dollar line? Yeah. And of course they did and it was it was awful. And what was funny about that is the only thing that made that line entertaining was because instead of saying I'd buy that for a dollar, he says I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. It's kind of like, yeah, I I wouldn't buy this movie for a dollar. <laughs> this movie sucks and no one should buy it. Yeah. And then there was another thing too. And this made me really question just the logic of this movie and the decisions of the people that made it and how they informed the decisions that the character made, the characters in the movie made. But, um, you know, the scene where they first wake Murphy up and he's in the Robocop suit and nobody bothers to, like, ease him into this. It's just sort of like they show him dreaming about dancing with his wife and then he wakes up 
And he's like, what is this on me? Get this off of me. Like, where's my body? And he freaks out, runs through this Chinese factory. <laughs> they have to disable him. And then that's not even the worst of it. When they bring him back in, they put this big mirror in front of him. And they reveal that all that is left of him is a hand, his face, his parts of his brain, and his lungs. And, like, his response is the same response that I think pretty much any reasonable person would have, which is, please kill me and end this nightmare. <laughs> and I'm sure there were a lot of people that were sitting in the theater that were thinking the same damn thing. This movie sucked. Well, usually you like it when the character begs for someone to kill them. Like, that. usually that's your kind of, your kind of scene. You, you didn't like... No, I, I, I think... <laughs> I think Murphy was right to say that. Like... <laughs> I think he handled it well, like saying it calmly instead of like screaming over and over, like, please kill me, please kill me, please kill me. <laughs> I mean, like, it's awful. Like, I think I think that's another way that you could have improved this movie is in that scene, like, you show a, a, a mirror image and they're like, they're like, Alec, uh, Alex, calm down, calm down. Like, here's your body. You know, it's it's badly damaged, but we're trying to heal it. And what they do is they show him a projected image where, like, it's his body, but it's kind of, like, burned up and, like, damaged in places. But then, like, when the camera spins from the mirror that, that Murphy's looking into and then looks directly onto Murphy, you see that he's just the, the head, parts of the brain, the lungs, and the hand. And then the audience is like, oh, they're fucking with his perspective of the world in order to manipulate him into doing what they want to do. And then it's like, okay, that's how you turn a man into a machine. But instead, they're just like, yeah, you're in a horrible nightmare, and we own you, so what are you going to do? We can shut you off anytime we want. Well, let, let me give my closing rant about RoboCop, because I have a ton to say about this, and then we, we will move on. Uh, but the dream of RoboCop, I believe, is to make a sequel or a remake that lets you reboot the franchise in such a way to where you can make more sequels, like a new trilogy or a new series of movies. You know, that was the dream. That was the sort of fantasy of this reboot. But this reboot was such a terrible attempt, such a flop, such a disaster. My personal prediction is that they, this could be like a like a Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes where they like reboot the whole thing again or an Angley's Hulk where they just turn around a few years later and and reboot it again. You know, so I wouldn't be surprised if RoboCop comes back. And I, and I'll be interested when he comes back. You know, we'll 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 check that one out too. But this one, you know, I I didn't see it in the theater cuz I wasn't that interested, but I bought it sight unseen on Blu-ray as one of the first Blu-rays that I ever bought. And I, I was telling this to Manny earlier that my initial reaction to it, I really wanted to like it. I loved the first movie. I liked the second movie. I wanted to love it, and my initial response to it was just that it's okay. You know, maybe I should watch it again. It was all right. It wasn't so bad. And the more that it sits on your shelf, you realize that you never want to put this thing into your Blu-ray player again. You never want to see it again. It totally sucks. You'd much rather see the original RoboCop movie. It's a perfect example of them trying to resell you a ticket to a movie that you already love and then bait and switching you and giving you some fucking bullshit. This movie sucks. <laughs> all right, that's it. That's all I have to say. 
I mean, I, there's there's more things I could say about this movie, but I think it's like a waste of our time and our listeners' time. So let's move on to RoboCop 3. Um, okay, so RoboCop 3 was the last movie ever directed by Fred Decker, the, the director of The Monster Squad, a movie that I famously love and I have the poster for. Yeah. Uh, but I never got around to catching it. Uh, even though I love the RoboCop franchise and I love... Fred Decker as a director, as far as Monster Squad is concerned. I haven't seen any of his other movies, but I think the directing on Monster Squad is fucking fantastic, and his name is on the credits, so I, I, I think it's him that did it. You know, I don't know. You, you hear rumors that it was Peter Himes, because he's also a famous director that produced it, that he had a lot to do with it, but you know, I, I personally choose not to believe that at all. I feel like Fred Decker's the man. Uh, but I heard such bad things about RoboCop 3... And I just couldn't, I, I've never gotten around to checking it out. I'm open to it, but I just haven't done it. You recently watched this movie. What did you think about it? This is a movie that should have never been released in theaters. The only, the only place it should have been broadcast was on television. Uh, this is totally a made-for-TV movie. When, when you talked about like how you thought that the Robocop, the, the original movie, was going to be like cheesy and 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 stupid and ridiculous like that's what this was uh this was a lesser like a lesser group of creatives getting together and it's and it's funny because yeah it's Fred Decker directed the film and like he's come out and like apologized for the film mm-hmm. and uh Frank Miller wrote the film he wrote the script for this he actually he wrote the original uh draft for RoboCop 2 and then that got heavily rewritten and turned into what it was. Mm-hmm. And he was frustrated by that. But then he came back for RoboCop 3. And he did this. And uh, it's a mess because he sat there and, and tried to claim that Fred Decker like rewrote his script and took out all the good things about it. But then like there's been copies of his original script that have gone out. And then he also made a comic uh, book that was what what his vision for RoboCop 3 was. And so there's a lot of elements of it. Like the main core elements of the story are still there. Mm-hmm. But this movie is, first of all, the main character, more so than RoboCop himself, is a child actor. Right off the bat right there, like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this movie's going to suck. Mm. And, like, what factors in heavily into some of the scenes of this movie in the early parts are the actual toys for RoboCop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when I saw that, I was like, okay, so this is a movie that's supposed to appeal for children. And if there's any franchise that is not appropriate for trying to appeal to children, it's got to be the RoboCop franchise. Mm -hmm. Yet, for some reason, like this movie and the TV series, and then they made an animated series, they're like, oh, yeah, like we'll... We'll try to appeal to children. And and even with the uh, RoboFlop, PG-13 movie, just like RoboCop 3, Orion was desperate at the time, and they needed a hit. They had, uh, they had a hit before with RoboCop. They tried to go back to the well with RoboCop 2, and like immediately after RoboCop 2 was released, they went into production on RoboCop 3, mm-hmm. and they just churned out a turd that lost money, and, you know... That contributed to the death of Orion. And honestly, like, if they're making decisions like what led to RoboCop 3, they deserve not to be in business anymore. 
Well, this is a series that reminds me of uh, the Highlander series, where the first one was good, and then they made a never-ending string of terrible sequels, and they just cannot stop. <laughs> and, you know, Alien <laughs> is kind of the same way, but they have one good sequel. Terminator is the same way, one good sequel. It's like you've, you, you have this movie that has a one-movie premise. Yeah, they just can't help themselves. Yeah, it's hard to argue against it because, like, at least with Alien and with the Terminator series and even with Highlander, you can say, like, hey, you have this really interesting premise. And the first film was a good hit. The the, the sequel to it was a huge hit. We can keep mining this, but you're going to get diminishing returns because right. you're extinguishing this idea by just trying to run it into the ground as opposed to trying to trying to explore the greater universe around it and seeing if there's something else fresh and new that can be said about it. And with RoboCop 3, I think the way to actually make that film work is to say that um, after RoboCop 2, Murphy was retired or he you know, went offline, and now you have a new RoboCop. Because you had a different actor in this movie, and I think that's another thing that really threw a lot of people off and kept you know, a lot of audience members away was when they were just like, oh, it's not even Peter Weller in the movie. I don't want to go see this. And even the actress that played Ann Lewis, she was like, please kill me. I don't want to be in this movie. Kind of echoing what Alex Murphy says in RoboFlop. Yeah, you, and you got to appreciate to an audience, whenever you change the main actor, that you you have to address it in the movie. Because if you don't, it's it's clown shoes. You know, It's just so ridiculous that people are laughing at you. It's amateurish. Yeah, it's it's amateur hour. Everybody knows that you don't have the same actor there playing that role. With with uh, Suicide Squad, you know, they have the advantage of there's been enough time to where everybody's like, yeah, we know Heath Ledger's dead, and we know you have to have a different actor playing the Joker. But at the same time, with something like that, like they went way out of their way to try and convince everybody, like, hey, this Joker's pretty awesome. But with with this RoboCop, they were just like, uh, he's really robotic. Um, come see him act exactly like a robot. <laughs> he wasn't a RoboCop that fit into the, or the Joker wasn't a Joker that fit into that same universe, though. Like, they rebooted the whole universe. Like, they weren't so foolish as to recast Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, within that same series. It's, it's the same reason why you don't recast the actor halfway through the movie. Like, the same logic applies. Yeah. Like, imagine you watch the first half of a movie and it's one actor and the second half is a different actor. Like, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> it's the same thing between one movie and another movie. Like, from the audience's perspective, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the movie didn't perform very well and, and it's not all Robert John Burke's fault, but um, he didn't help. So, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, RoboCop series? That came after RoboCop 3? Yeah, I rented this back on Netflix when Netflix used to deliver DVDs. So it's been a while since I've seen it. It was probably around the year 2008, 2009 that I, I saw the series. But I rented the whole thing in its entirety. I watched the whole thing in its entirety. And it wasn't nearly as bad as you could imagine it being. It wasn't as bad as the reboot is. 
like it, it it worked really hard to stay true to the original like satire of the original movie uh but the only problem with it was it kind of like stretched the plot out to like a soap opera-esque kind of height and some of the plot strands that it chose to pull on like while they were interesting that they the movie was able to find so many different directions to kind of go it ultimately got very soap opera-ish to see uh, like a lot of the plot lines had to do with the corporate people that created RoboCop like they had a lot of plot lines and there were other plot lines like way outside of RoboCop I, I don't I don't remember it as well as all that. I would be down to watch it again, especially with you, Manny, if you were around. Like, if we could have a whole day of drinking and just watching RoboCop, I think that would be a blast. Um, ultimately, oh my God, I should just I should just move into your place at this point. Um, you've got so many things you want to watch with me. Well, it's just if we watch it separately, that's like. That's almost more of a chore than us just watching it together. Even if it's suffering, like there's a shared enjoyment in knowing, like I'm enduring this with somebody else. So, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. But I gotta say, with with that series, I, I never watched it, but I've 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 seen clips and I've seen breakdowns of it. One of the most bizarre things is the way that um, one of the plot points that they have in it is, uh, <laughs> and this is kind of a theme in the RoboCop series, but they're like, oh, we need a brain. We need a brain. And so they, the, the, the doctor that like creates the, um, the central brain that like kind of controls the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. he decides to like have someone murder his assistant and then put her brain into the computer system. And that's not even the bizarre part. The bizarre part is the way that they had her manifest as a hologram that would only appear to like RoboCop and a couple of other people and like try to help him solve crimes. So if you can just picture like that, like bad 90s TV uh, uh, special effects with a guy that's not, not only is he not Peter Weller, he's also not. Robert John Burke. So you now have a third person playing the role of RoboCop driving around in a mid nineties Ford Mustang mm -hmm. that's been like repainted with the uh Detroit Police Department um logos and stuff. I mean it's not it's not awful, it's not unwatchable. It's just like it's a product of its time and it's a product of um sequelitis and sort of like committee thinking and people taking something that was a brutal satirical action film and dumbing it down and and um sanitizing it and then putting it on tv so that way they're like hey families can watch this and robocop is not fucking something for families it was actually really impressive all the different ways that they were able to stretch the universe of robocop like it was it was really something, but it was it just wasn't something good, you know. But it was something. And they also had like, like Pudface or or whatever that character's name was, and that was like, <laughs> it just, it was RoboCop Texas Ranger. It was it was bad and dumb, and I'm ready to move on from. Yeah, it. I'd, I'd still like to see that one again, if nothing else, for just to, to reaffirm how terrible and and bizarre it was. 
I think it would be good, like, binge-watching if you're, like, home sick for a couple of days and just, like, you know, when you're kind of, like, passing in and out of, like, medicine comas to just be like, oh, I'll put on the Robocop TV series and I'll wake up in the middle of it and be like, am I dreaming or is this really happening? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember exactly what my circumstance was that allowed me to watch so much Robocop at that point in my life. But <laughs> it was, like, it was a lot to choke down because I, I want to... I'm going to guess unemployment. No, I've never been unemployed for that long. I, I want to say it was just sheer loneliness. Like maybe I didn't have any friends or something. <laughs> oh god, that's worse. <laughs> You're like I was a productive I was a productive human being. I just didn't have any friends, so my only friend was the RoboCop series that I got from Netflix. Like I, I, I want to say it was in this that sounds like someone's suicide note. <laughs> I want to say it was when I lived in, I'm, I mean, I'm certain it was, when I lived in New York, actually. And there was like a period where I was living there and I had no, or almost no friends. Yeah. And all I did was go to work and come home and either play video games or watch like Netflix movies. Like I had no social life whatsoever. <laughs> watch Robocop <laughs> the series. <laughs> Oh my god, that sounds so sad. I gotta imagine, like, I've only lived in Dallas and Los Angeles, but Los Angeles can be a really lonely place for as many people live there. I feel like New York City, though, has got to be, like, the second loneliest city in the U.S. No, it's more lonely. It's way more lonely. Than Los Angeles? Yeah, because you always ride on the subways, and, like, subways are, like, elevators, it's like this this lonely place where no one talks to each other. You're all like, you know, you all have something in common. You're all traveling from this part of the city to another part of the city by the same train. But it's like it has this elevator vibe where you're sort of not supposed to talk to anybody. But instead of holding that elevator, you know, mentality for like 45 seconds, you have to hold it for like 45 minutes. And so it's it's just it's very lonely. It's a very lonely place. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. And then people will like come on and off the elevator. Like homeless people will come in and start begging you for money. Like sometimes they'll come in and do like a performance, and then they'll walk by and hold like a change jar out. And you're like, you know, you want to pull your own change jar out and be like, do you have any change? You know, can you spare any change? I'm poor too. Like we're all poor. Like I'm just some guy taking the subway. You know, like this isn't a limo, bruh. You know, this is me <laughs> taking the subway somewhere. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, if you go and ride the BART in San Francisco or even the L.A. subway, uh, you, you will still get the same performers with their little tip jars. So it's not just New York City, man. Yeah, but also in New York, like you walk down the street and it's super crowded. You, you said you went to Astoria, Queens recently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you know, it's it's like there or like also in Manhattan. When you walk down the street, like there's way more people on the street than there are in L.A. Like there's some people on the street in L.A., but in New York, it's like there's a sea of people, and but you don't talk to them, you know. Or I certainly didn't, you know. Like what are you supposed to say? Like hey, where are you going? <laughs> you know, like and everybody's real rude. There's this real like. Let me be rude to you mentality until I know you really well, then I'll finally be nice to you. Like the Southern hospitality method is more like, I'll be nice to you if you're a stranger, but then behind your back I'll talk shit about you. But I'll be nice to you to your face. Yeah. But in New York it's like, I'll be rude to you to your face, 
And if I get to know you really well, then I'll finally be nice to you. So it's like it's the opposite kind of mentality. It's the same thing, but opposite. And it's just it's very lonely inducing because there's so many people. Well, and you know where they don't do that? Mm. Detroit, Michigan, where the crime is so bad, they will just say hi and then stab you and take your wallet, which is why you need not just a Robocop, but a Robocop too. Did you like that transition? <laughs> yes, and I also liked Robocop number two. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that every time I put it on, I'm always pleasantly surprised by how decent plus it is. <laughs> it's sequelitis, undoubtedly, but it's it's really well-managed sequelitis that gets you all the way from point A all the way to point B. You know, and you need you need like a little bit of an intelligence hook in these movies to really keep you into it. A little satirical, intelligent hook. And in RoboCop 2, the intelligent hook is the fact that there's a second RoboCop. Like the OCP is making a RoboCop number two. And that's what this that's the focus of this movie. So the focus of RoboCop 2 is RoboCop 2. <laughs> It's not just a clever name. Right, exactly. And, and and so that's good because it's it's a simple idea that you can kind of latch on to. And is 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 RoboCop 2 kind of like an Ed 209, like it's kind of like a big military robot? Is it that kind of a thing? Well, so what happens in RoboCop 2 is um that's the movie as as I said previously that predicted the uh, bankruptcy of the city of Detroit. Genius. The actual story of the movie, OCP is like, oh, okay, like we can bankrupt the city of Detroit, and then uh, we can take control of the city of Detroit, not just the police departments, and then we can sit there and you know use that power to uh, take away the collective bargaining powers of the police union. And what we'll do is instead of like having the police officers that we have to like pay them while they work and then pay their pensions and all this money that cost us, like we'll just create a force of Robocops. We're going to create like the Robocop 2.0. And so they kind of experiment with like resurrecting all these dead cops and it's it leads to like this really hilarious and kind of disturbingly tragic visual of all the failed RoboCop 2s. <laughs> yeah. But then it goes into this bizarre plot of the woman in charge of the whole program decides that what's going to work is to have a criminal, someone with a psychopathic brain, to actually be in control of the new RoboCop hardware. So that, of course, leads to this big crazy battle scene between... Hero Robocop and Robocop 2, who is actually a bad guy. Right. But it also has a hilarious line where Robocop 2 is like just massacring people and like shooting at the police force and everything. And you you have the old man from OCP like lean over and he's like, better get our best spin masters on this story right away. <laughs> well and also there's a there's a funny subplot happening in the movie too where there's like a new kind of drug that they're manufacturing nuke nuke and what's funny about that is that's the same plot line that they use in both prayer of the ruler boys and class of 1999 oh so that, bringing that, it all the way back to the beginning folks 
that's what we do here on Sequelite. <laughs> you know, so they, you know, all three of those movies have that same sort of plot line. Like there's this new hot super drug in town and here's the gang that controls it. Uh, they also do that plot. Which is also the plot to the new Dread. Yeah, Dread also does that. God, that was another terrible fucking movie that people, I remember people harped on how good that was like the first couple weeks it was out but that was a piece of shit man yipes i thought you liked that movie but now i stand corrected well i liked it okay i mean i went to the theater i saw it in 3d it was like a traumatic experience for me (laughs) it's a very brutal movie it's gory violent and just unrepentantly brutal in the way that not only RoboCop, but especially RoboCop 2 is. Because RoboCop 2 like features like a torture murder that they force a child to watch. It's I mean it's a it's a movie that like offended Roger Ebert when he watched it. Like he did not like this movie. Oh yeah. I and it's not that. a great movie, but it does have some great stuff. Like I said, some of the lines that, that are said and, and the plot of you know, OCP creating a RoboCop 2. But also, like, one of my favorite things is the the commercial that they have for the um, car theft device. Where yeah, basically that... it, sh- it electrocutes a car thief to death <laughs> and then dumps his body out. And that's one of my favorite things that's ever been put to film ever. Yeah, and then the guy gets in the car, and he's still able to start the car, like with a dead body right there. And he's like, "And the car still starts." Like, that's the final like selling point. Yeah, like the satire commercials on it are so good that they're arguably almost better than the first movie. Yeah, like they really strive hard to make the satire work, and it, I really appreciate that. You know, when you watch the movie. You appreciate the satire more than anything else, just that they're trying so hard. Even though you know that they're kind of falling short, and especially once you get into like the second and third act of this movie, you're kind of like, oh boy, they're not really pulling this off super well. Yeah. You always appreciate those commercials. You always appreciate the satirical angle that they're trying to ride in RoboCop 2. But, but going back to talking about the ending to this movie, that is one of the things where this is one of the last, last like big movies to use CGI. I'm sorry, not CGI. Stop, stop motion, motion animations yeah. so extensively. It, it looks awesome, but part of the reason why it works is because it's a robot, and so like it moves robotically. After that, like, Jurassic Park came out, and that was pretty much the death of using uh, stop-motion animation like that. And the thing about it is that I can watch it, and I can tell, like, okay, that's a animatic. It's on a blue screen. I can definitely, like, see the seams of the scene. But to me, despite that, I still feel the weight of RoboCop 2 in the scene Whereas in a lot of these movies, like especially with with the RoboCop uh, remake, you know all the CGI scenes, like the Ed Two Hundred Nines in that movie, I did not feel like they were there. Again, it felt like watching a video game. It was it was not entertaining, and it completely took me out of the movie. It broke down the the fourth wall. And it's one of those situations where they don't care at all about the audience. It's actually gonna see this movie like all they care about is the advertising phase of this movie and the first weekend 
phase of the movie. All they care about is the trailer trying to get as many butts into the seat, like you said, on the first weekend, because that's when they make the most money. Right. And they don't care if those people like the movie or not. They just want them to get in there, spend spend as much money as they can, and then that's it. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking thrill park ride. Yeah. Honestly, you'd be better served to watch somebody playing GTA Five on a YouTube video than to watch that movie. But if you're going to sit there and say, I want to watch a RoboCop film, but I'm not going to watch the original, what should I watch? Watch RoboCop 2. It's the second best RoboCop movie. Or the miniseries is the third best RoboCop thing, if there's a way to watch it. I'm not sure. No, the third best RoboCop thing is what I want to get into next, which is our RoboCop remake. Oh, I haven't seen much of that. No, you haven't, but our RoboCop remake, like, it has one of the greatest internet videos I've ever seen in my life, and you've seen this scene, too. In the original RoboCop, there's a scene where Murphy, you know, shortly after he's been transformed into RoboCop, he goes out and starts patrolling the city, and he comes across a rape in progress, and he steps out of the car, and because... He has precision aiming due to his uh, robotic sight, shoots the rapist in the dick, and then has this like great line where this traumatized woman who is like still in fear for her life, he just says to her, Ma'am, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will notify a rape crisis center. <laughs> and it's that perfect level of Verhoeven uh, satire where it's like, that's how we kind of like treat victims of just like, you're just another face, get in line, we'll see you later, have a great day, bye. Call this number, goodbye. But in this scene, the way that they do it for for our RoboCop remake is, I mean, you gotta go out and search it out, because this scene is fucking bananas. When it's the one scene that you're the most familiar with, you want to walk me through it? Yeah, allow me. So, what's great about the remake version of this scene is that it's so perfectly shot that when you watch it, you're 100% convinced that you're watching the real movie. If you've ever seen the real movie before, it has 100% believability. And what makes this even more fascinating is that whoever made this scene, that's the guy that they should hire to make. And maybe he is the guy, for all I know. But that's the guy who should make the RoboCop remake. Because it, it, it's it's so shot for shot. That would be so hilarious if he was involved with it. The, the director of RoboFlop actually directed this scene. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. I, I would believe it because I don't know how you hire anybody else except this guy that shot this scene. Because it, it's so shot for shot believable. Especially if you haven't seen RoboCop in a while. It takes you a while of watching the movie before you realize, like, hey, this is ridiculous. This can't be the original RoboCop, but it keeps the same tone the entire way through. So what ends up happening is the rape guy goes to rape his victim, and he actually pulls his dick, like, all the way out, and you can see it and everything. And then he goes to rape the girl, and then RoboCop shoots him on his dick, and you, like, visually get to see his dick blow into a piece and, like, blood starts squirting out. Right, and when you first watch it, you're like, "Man, is this like the unrated version? Like, God damn, this is intense." But then the satire really comes in because tens of dozens of hundreds of 
fellow rapists start jumping over the wall and running onto the scene out of nowhere and they've all got their dicks hanging out of their pants and robocop just blows each and every one of their dicks off in this in this violent bloody explosive scene that is so over the top and so crazy yeah that i'm sure everyone in our audience has has already seen it i mean how have you not seen this thing I remember the day it came out, I really had no clue what my RoboCop remake was, but somebody that I worked with that I didn't even like that much was just like, hey, you like RoboCop, right? And I was like, yeah, because he was about my same age. And he was like, watch this. And, you know, what makes it so much fun is that you don't know what you're seeing. And it takes you 75 or 85% of of seeing it to 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 even begin to comprehend what it is that you're even laying your eyes on. It's just it's just so fascinating. <laughs> it's so well done. Well, for a little while that was our thing was like I showed it to you and then we would invite people over and then we'd show it to a new person and they'd be sitting there and going like what the fuck am I watching? What the fuck are you making me watch? And like watching someone go through that, and it was amazing. And just doing that over and over and kind of like, you know, doing the ring on it and like spreading it virally. I mean, hopefully like everybody that's listening to this has seen it before because us spoiling that scene kind of lessens the potential enjoyment that I think a lot of people could have. But at the same time, if you've never seen it, you might not have, like, even with us describing it, you might not have any idea what the fuck we're talking about. But that's just one scene of an entire shot-by-shot remake of the original RoboCop film done by 50 different individual and groups of filmmakers. And they they did this, like, once the RoboCop remake um, was announced... They got together, they crowdsourced it, all these different filmmakers said like, okay, we'll take it scene by scene, like you'll take this scene, you know, you take scene one, you take scene 21, you take scene 47, I'll have scene 53, and we're going to piece those all together, and we're going to complete the narrative of RoboCop, but there were no rules on like how they had to do it. So you have computer animation, you have traditional animation, flash animation. And one of my favorite parts, they reenact a, a very crucial scene from the movie using toddlers. The Murphy execution scene is one of the most amazing videos I've ever watched. It's fucking great. And then the, the scene with Ed 209, they use puppets in it. And it's fucking amazing. Like, it's hilarious, but it's also equally as tragic as the actual scene from the movie. That was one of the only good things to come out of the RoboCop remake was that it inspired the internet to come together and say, like, hey, you know what? We're going to have a response to this. And knowing that that exists as a, a counter to the, the RoboFlop, I, I, can, I can be okay with this existing in the universe if it brought about the existence of our RoboCop remake. And all you have to do is go on Google, type in our RoboCop remake. It'll pop up with the Vimeo link and you'll be able to watch the whole damn thing. And I suggest doing it. Give yourself a lot of time to do it because you'll probably have to take breaks, but it's fucking fun to watch, especially if you're a RoboCop fan. Yeah, I, I might be down to watch it like with a group of people. I, I feel like me watching it myself, I would get very depressed at a certain point. And I would... I would ask the question, like, what has my life become? 
you know, but <laughs> if I had a group of people. Yet that was not a question that you asked when you're sitting in your Astoria apartment watching DVDs of the RoboCop TV series. So at least your standards have gone up in life. It, it all made sense at that point because it was, <laughs> it was something that was produced that was an official piece of the canon. Like this is something that a bunch of assholes on the Internet made. I'll, I mean, I'll watch the best of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not above that. I, but I feel like I've seen the best of it a long time ago, which is that scene that I just described. No, there's there's a lot of really great scenes in it. But I think taking it in pieces and also taking it as a whole has its own rewarding experience. And I highly recommend it to not only you, but to anybody listening to this right now. So the only movie left to talk about is... The good one, RoboCop number one, Paul Verhoeven's classic. We touched on it earlier, but let's go full tilt into it. I love this movie. To me, RoboCop is a perfect movie because it, it works on multiple levels. It has satire. It has action. It has comedy, which are my favorite genres. It has intelligence. The element that I love, the plot element that I love is the way that the OCP corporation has bought the police. You know, it's kind of an element that you can sort of brush over if you're not really paying attention or if, you, if you're not really letting your mind understand how ridiculous that is to let a corporation be running the police. But, you know, what they're saying is that we live in a fascist society and we're selling off, you know, maybe perhaps a plutocracy even where we're selling off our government to corporations for them to run, and we're trying to turn the police department into some sort of money-making operation, which is just such a brilliant, you know, plot device to to lead off with. It's this bizarre thing, and like I think I think you said it earlier when you and I were just kind of talking on the phone. Uh, this kind of came about because we're discussing the fact that. The first RoboCop was shot primarily in Dallas, Texas, which is where I grew up. And so as a kid watching this, like I recognized a lot of the local landmarks that were in the movie. And then the second one was shot primarily in Houston, Texas, which is kind of that's even more unusual than having a famous movie shot in Dallas. We were both like remarking over the fact that they really didn't bother to shoot anything until the remake. They shot some parts in Detroit, but like pretty much like it's been shot Dallas, Houston, Atlanta in the third one. Uh, the TV series was shot around Toronto, and then the newest one was shot in Toronto, Vancouver, uh, Hamilton, um, Ontario. You you have this series that is firmly set in Detroit, and the reason why it's firmly set in Detroit is because. Detroit has become this metaphor for sort of like the death of the American dream. And I think really like this is a movie that is a response to uh, the Reagan years and Reaganomics. This whole idea of we're going to shift things from, you know, uh, a democracy, people having a power, people having an ability to not everybody, of course, but healthy majority of the people having the ability to like be upwardly mobile in life, and we're going to shift that to corporate interest, and now the corporations are in control of things, and if you are not the ideal team player in the corporate world, 
then you're fucked. You're not going to go anywhere, and you're probably going to suffer in life because this is no longer a democracy. This is now a plutocracy, which is really bizarre because that's pretty much where we find ourselves right now in reality. At least RoboCop does us the solid of making the horrible dystopia that we find ourselves in seem kind of fun in the way that they present it. It does present this like gritty, realistic like view of like here's an American city that is totally collapsed, and the only chance that it has now is to like turn to a corporation, and there's no way this is going to turn out well. Well, and and if you have poverty, extreme poverty in a city, that is going to lead to crime, you know. So you've got this city that is totally broke. the The automotive industry completely left. The people there have no choice but to move or to get into crime because they have to eat. You know, they, they can't just they can't just starve. Yeah. You know, but instead of helping these people by investing your money in those communities, by helping those people get jobs or whatnot, you know, you grab all this government money and you pour it into this robot that goes around and just obliterates every criminal that he runs into and just shoots him with a fucking machine gun. And it's like, it, you know, it's like fighting crime with an army instead of fighting it economically. You know, it's like treating the symptom instead of treating the cause of what is really happening. And it's so intelligent in that way. You know, but they don't hit you over the head with it by going into the reason why these criminals commit these crimes. You know, they, they paint these criminals as just just guys that love to commit crime. And, you know, you can't imagine this guy... Terrence Boddicker, like, holding down a regular job, you know, he's he's got to murder people, and he's got to uh, have prostitutes, and he's got to do drugs, you know, so they don't go as far as to paint him as, like, a sympathetic character, but, you know, just as far as the reality of people in poverty goes, like, the reason they commit crime is because they don't have money, you know, it's it's not as complicated as, as the Republicans make it out to sound, you know, like, there's good people and there's bad people, and the bad people commit crimes and the good people don't. You know, it's like that makes sense to a child. But once you once you wrap your mind around reality and how things really work, you see like, no, people commit crime because they need the money that they get from the crime. They need the money because they can't get it anywhere else. You know, they may be addicted to something, maybe why they need money. Yeah, there's a level of desperation that. You know, the the circumstances that people have been placed into yeah. is, is what drives their actions. I mean, Robocop really doesn't go that in-depth in, like, analyzing that. Yeah. But you can see it just around the corner. You can definitely see, like, right. Robocop, like, beckoning you over towards something and, and being like, look at what's over there. And, like, look at what's happening to these people. And at the same time, it's it it is like very much skewering the the corporate ideologies that were on the rise in America at the time, and saying like, look, like if you let corporations run things, this is how it's going to go. It's not going to go well. Maybe don't do that. Yeah, and this idea that you know if you're gonna if you're gonna try to commit a crime, we're gonna shoot you down, you know, with a giant space laser. You know, if you shoot a nuke off, we're going to destroy it with a space laser. You know, we're going to build a giant military to crush crime. Yeah. It's approaching crime as if it's something where you can spend an infinite amount 
on the police presence and on the the prison presence to squash it instead of attempting to address what causes the crime you know it's it's classic reaganomics it's 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 completely backwards thinking but it it was not only what was going on at that time period but it's also the kind of plot device that's perfect for this movie because you can get a character involved like RoboCop that has all this money poured into him, kind of like the six million dollar man, and now he's fighting criminals. You know, had you invested that money that you put into him, the six billion dollars or whatever, into that community, then those people wouldn't be committing those crimes. You know, that, that's just the the funny satirical part that's that, that's around the corner of it. But that that's what makes me love that movie. One of the other things that we said too was the fact that what what happens is that he does go and he starts like he basically goes and mows down some criminals but then after he gets through like taking out his revenge on all the people that murdered him you know which which would be typical of like an 80s action film he then like realizes like no like the real problem are the people that are the corporate overlords and then that leads to like this great scene of him storming into the OCP offices and trying to place Dick Johnson under arrest, only to find that there's a directive that's placed in him that he cannot arrest an OCP officer. And then the way that that scene is resolved is <laughs> Dick Johnson gets fired, and now that he's no longer uh, an OCP officer, yeah. like RoboCop, before HR can come in there and like do Dick Johnson's exit interview. Yeah, uh, Dick Dick Jones. Dick Jones, I'm sorry. Dick Jones! <laughs> he's just like, I can murder you now. Prepare to eat lead, scum. And blows him out the fucking window. <laughs> but it's so great. Yeah. And there's there's like... That's one thing I need to say about the RoboCop uh, franchise, like RoboCop 1, 2, and 3. There were a lot of really great actors, most mostly just character actors that were in these movies. And to just watch them in those performances when they were right on the verge of like becoming like regular, not necessarily household names, but household faces, faces that you recognize... You go back and watch those first three films, and you're going to see a lot of people that you recognize. I was surprised by the number of people in RoboCop 3 that I was like, hey, I know who that is. I know who that is. I know who that is. To have all those people like pop up in such a shitty movie was kind of a shame, but it does like at least give someone a reason to go back and watch it to be like, oh, yeah, those people are in this movie. Yeah, and also something else I wanted to say about RoboCop was that uh, I love the way that in the first movie, the corporate uh, goombas that are trying to pull this whole scheme off, like they don't want Alex Murphy to be a human or to be alive. Like they, they want him to be as brain dead as possible. They want everything to be controlled by his computer. And like to them, the fact that his brain starts to starts to twitch back into some activity and he starts to remember things is like is a negative aspect of it. Yeah. Whereas in the new RoboCop movie, essentially his whole brain is 100% perfectly intact and that's like a part of it. Like they're trying to save his life. Like this whole procedure is there to is there to like save his life. And it, it takes away the satire of it. You know, the satire is that they don't want him to be alive, but him being alive is like a nuisance to them and it's a nuisance to their plan. Like that's what 
that's what makes the third act great. Well, not only a nuisance, but like an unexpected consequence that they then have to like contend with. That's that's one of the key differences between the original RoboCop and RoboFlop is that the way that the movie deals with that is everyone just kind of assumes that RoboCop in the original they're like they're like, "Oh yeah, like who is this guy?" And only one person knows who he is on the police force. Whereas in RoboFlop, like everybody knows, like oh, this like it's a news story that they talk about. So like every single person that watches the news story is like, oh yeah, that's Alex Murphy. I don't know who that is, but I know what his name is. Right. And that kind of takes away from the idea of like, yeah, you want to say like we've got this robot out there patrolling the streets but there's a human inside of it, but you don't want to know who the human is. And that's what they do effectively in this RoboCop movie is they're just like, there's a person inside of it. You don't know who he is. Nobody knows knows who he is, but you can see his mouth. (laughs) And that's just kind of how it goes. And it's an iconic fucking costume. And even the dumb Ford Taurus that he drives around in this movie, like that's iconic. His gun, like the sound his gun makes in this movie, is iconic. The anti-Robocop guns that Terrence Boddicker's gang has, like those are iconic. It's just such a fucking joyous movie to watch. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, to me, it's it's achieved the same level as like The Green Mile or Shawshank Redemption or Saving Private Ryan, where if it's on TV... I will just stop what I'm doing and I'll sit down and I'll watch it as long as I can because it's a great movie. And there's all these little moments like the part when he rediscovers who he is and then he gets shot up by uh, the, the Detroit PD and then he and like Officer Lewis escape and they're kind of hiding out. He takes off his own helmet and he's sitting there and he's like trying to like readjust his aim. That that's a great little scene. And that's one of the wonderful things because that's Paul Verhoeven yeah. and that's all the people working together on this film like realizing like here's a moment where we need to like take a break from the action and delve into the humanity of the person that's inside of the RoboCop suit. Right. And then they go right back into the action and it's fucking brutal. It's relentless and it's totally fucking satisfying. Yeah, and there's five stars. And there's also a, a great sequence where you sort of realize that he is handicapped. You know, he's he's essentially like mentally retarded from all the brain damage that he suffered, and your your point of view of him starts to shift, and he he kind of shifts from a very capable you know warrior into this like handicapped, wounded human. And then he goes through a sequence where he starts to regain his power, and it's like it's almost comedic because like even though he's a handicapped person that you're you're kind of thinking less of on a mental level. It's like he 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 charges into the police station, he sticks his large uh, wrist knife, uh, you know, tool R two D two thing into the computer, <laughs> his member his USB dill, yeah, his, his USB penis thing into the computer, and when when he walks out after like gaining that information, he kind of has this like happy go lucky like stride to him, where it's almost like you know as if like a mentally retarded person that you were sort of thinking less of came into a situation and then bested you and then walked out like with a smile on their face like hey sucker you know you thought less of me but 
now I'm thinking less of you because I just got one over on you. You know, and like it, it just has so many great like little sequences like that and, and moments like that that just makes you think like, wow, this movie is great. You know, it, it has almost no flaws whatsoever to it. it, it it's rewatchable on multiple levels. It's a, a great feat of writing, of directing. Peter Weller is fantastic. The acting in the movie is fantastic. You know, you, you have to imagine that almost 100% of people involved with this movie thought it was going to be a piece of shit. You know, they either misunderstood the script or all they read was their lines or they just had some kind of misunderstanding of the movie. That's how I imagine it in my head anyway. When you watch Robocop 2 and 3, like, you see, like, how this movie could have gone in the wrong direction. Right. But to Verhoeven and, and everybody involved with the making of this film, it didn't. And it's a fucking classic, and it's a well-deserved classic. And I do, like, kind of wish that when I, when I first watched it as a kid, like, maybe somebody would have would have been there and said like hey maybe you shouldn't be watching this little nine ten year old <laughs> manny but i got to watch it and like from that moment on it was like one of my favorite films of all time and it's gonna be up there for probably the rest of my life yeah i feel the same way about it all right let's uh let's wrap this episode up this has been about the robocop franchise and uh this has been sequelitis thank you guys so much for listening yeah, thank you guys very much for listening, and be sure to uh, share us with all your friends. Um, we've got a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash sequelitis. Twitter, at sequelitis.com. We've got our Instagram page, at um, sequelitispod. And, of course, you can reach out to us on Gmail, uh, sequelitispodcast at gmail.com. And let Manny know that he needs to watch... Prayer of the Ruler Boys and Class of 1999 double feature with me. All right, I'm not going to do it though unless somebody writes in and tells me that I need to watch those. So or anything else you guys want to suggest. Get off, get off your butts, fans. All right, so we'll see you guys next week. Dead or alive, you're coming with us. Thank you. There is a crime happening. In 2010, a group of filmmakers produced their own remake of Footloose. Now, they're doing it with RoboCop. 55 scenes by 55 filmmakers. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. 10 Alex Murphys. 12 Clarence Boddickers. 15 Lewises. And 30 RoboCops. Hey guys, it's me, RoboCop. We killed you! Featuring <laughs> everything you love about RoboCop. Violence. <gasps> Toys, video games, <laughs> evil corporations, dancing, and that beautiful silver suit. A crowdsourced remake of Robocop. Our Robocop remake. If anyone is going to ruin Robocop, it's us. <laughs> <laughs>